Explosive church growth. In 1974, when Ethiopian believers faced strong persecution, the Evangelical Church united to get through the time of testing, and its numbers had doubled when freedom came in 1991. But just how did the gospel first come to Ethiopia? Turn with our study leader Dave Wardson to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, and find out who responded and what difference it should make in our lives today. Mention Ethiopia, and what do you think about? You think about famine, right? This morning, I want you, as soon as you hear the word Ethiopia, I want you to think not just about famine, but I want you to think about explosive church growth. I want you to think about the body of Christ in Ethiopia that you might not realize has exploded. It exploded because of what we learn in the book of Acts. Persecution often becomes the seed scatterer that explodes the body of Christ. I share with you how in 1974, Ethiopia came under communist domination. The Russian Soviet Union was all intact at that time. The Ethiopian leaders threw out Haile Selassie and in Addis Ababa, there was the institution of a communist regime. That lasted from 1974 until 1991. The evangelical church, churches like ours, were outlawed. You weren't allowed to worship like we're worshiping. Believers like yourself were arrested. They were tortured. They had to go through long prison terms. A lot of missionaries, like, for example, with the Sudan Interior Mission, thought, man, that's going to be the end of the church in Ethiopia. Before the communist takeover in 1974, there were about 4 million evangelical believers that really believed in the gospel of Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus. In 1991, when the country opened up again, the church in Ethiopia had doubled. It was now 8 million, and that's continued to explode. The believers united together. They started meeting in cell groups. They started sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in informal settings. And the Holy Spirit powerfully blew like a mighty wind. And the church of Ethiopia today is exploding. But we need to continue to pray as in March. For example, in March of this year, there was another powerful outbreak. Two people were killed. The Christian school was destroyed. 7,000 believers like yourselves, just about 150 miles outside the capital, had to be displaced because their homes and everything were destroyed. So the persecution continues, but God's spirit is powerfully working. So as we think about Ethiopia, we ask the question, how was this church born? I want you to turn to the book of Acts, because in Acts chapter 8, we have the birth of the Ethiopian church. To be more technical, the area in the ancient world of Ethiopia is really Sudan, which is another country that we need to be thinking about. They just had a very powerful war of revolution, the north against the south. The north is Islamic. The South is basically Christian, tremendous conflict. The South has just voted independence. And we need to pray that there will be peace, that there will be solidity and protection, and that also that the gospel will be able to go into the southern area of Sudan and then reach into the north. So that's the area we're talking about. How in the world did the gospel come to that area of the world south of Ethiopia? Who brought the gospel to that area? And what difference does it make to us today? Look at it in Acts chapter 8, because we pick up the story in verse 26, verse 26 of chapter 8. We had in the previous passage, Philip working powerfully in Samaria. 
God's Spirit opened the door. We're in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll be powerful witnesses beginning in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then onto the uttermost parts of the earth. Dr. Luke, in the book of Acts, has taught us about the explosion of the gospel in Samaria. As Peter and John came back to Jerusalem, he tells us in the previous verse, in a transition verse, that Peter and John presented the gospel in all the villages of Samaria as they head back to Jerusalem. And so Jesus' command is being fulfilled. Now we're going to pick up, and Luke's going to give us a little foretaste of where he's going to end up this book, taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because Ethiopia in the ancient world was the uttermost parts of the earth. So how is God going to reach this area way south of Egypt? Look what it says. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. That's the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem down to Gaza. So he started out. Notice Philip's obedience. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. The first thing I want you to notice in this story is I want you to think about God bringing one of his choice servants to go one-on-one in the desert. I want you to look at it. This is Philip. He was just in a mighty, powerful revival movement. Hundreds of people are coming to know the Lord in Samaria. You would think, like, why in the world do you take an evangelist that's proclaiming the good news in a tremendous people movement in Samaria? Why do you suddenly have an angel command him to go down to this deserted road? Because the Lord cares about one-on-one people. Want to understand that every single person in the world comes to Christ one-on-one with their Savior. And this text is showing us that God doesn't just work with masses, but he works one-on-one. That's where most of you work. You need to understand the heart of God, that you're going to be going out into all different walks of life today. You live in all different neighborhoods You are going to be in all different kinds of vocations. Some of you, because of your jobs, you're going to be traveling. I want you to start to think the book of Acts wants to capture you up in that you are responding to the burden. I want to bring the good news of Jesus Christ one-on-one with people. We want to begin to pray like Philip is caught up in his relationship with the Lord. An angel speaks to him. A lot of you have had nudges from the Spirit. That would be the equivalent today of the Holy Spirit nudging your heart. You need to share. You need to talk. You need to go one-on-one. The other thing I want you to see about this one-on-one is it's easy to go one-on-one with people that are like us. In other words, if you're a family person and you have a lot of kids and you live in a neighborhood with a lot of people, it's easy for you to go one-on-one with a bunch of family people. But look at this guy. This guy, first of all, it says he met an Ethiopian. So he's not Jewish. Philip is a Hellenic Jew. He's a Greek Jew. And he's reaching to an Ethiopian. That's a different race, different country. And if we really believe in the good news, we need to consciously be thinking God's heart is for us to reach across 
those racial barriers. Right here in our church family, you were a part of that when you entertained 26 pastors from 26 different countries. If you're in the university setting, you got tons of foreign students that are coming here to study. With an elder prayer meeting earlier today, we are praying about things that are happening at A&M, where they're reaching out to foreign students. That's happening at UT. It can happen right here in our area, right at Nevera. In my classes, there will be students from Africa almost every semester. So we need to be thinking about this cross-cultural communication right here in Midlothian. That's harder. But I want you to begin to pray, Lord, show me the Ethiopian. The next thing it says is that he was a eunuch. In the Old Testament, a eunuch wasn't allowed to go and worship. They weren't allowed to worship in the holy place in Jerusalem. They couldn't become Jewish. They'd have to stay on the outside of the Gentile court, and they could never become a proselyte. Because according to the Old Testament, if you were a eunuch, you cannot become one of the chosen people. They were one of the outcasts. But the book of Isaiah that the the eunuch is reading talks about a new day when even the eunuchs will be able to come. Now, in the ancient world, they often used eunuchs because they weren't going to produce any children and they wouldn't threaten the king or the queen's progenity and the next inheritance of the throne. You can understand that. In our world, you say, what's the equivalent of this? The equivalent would be single people. In a church like ours, family people. Married couples. You see, single people move to North Dallas, and then they move back to Midlothian when they get married. So the dominant people group in our culture are family people. In an evangelical church like ours, single people can feel like outcasts. And I want you to expand this. As you're coming up through school, all of you can remember, how many of you remember the people that didn't quite fit in? Sometimes we call them the nerds. Like when I was in high school, you know, I fit in because I was an athlete. And that was a big thing in our culture down in Florida. But I can think of other kids that were not athletic at all. And now we have the nerds running the world. Because nobody that throws a football knows how to make accessories for iPhones. And so right now in our culture, you've got a whole culture. There's lots of single people people that don't quite fit in. I want you to expand that. I want the high school students to think about people in my high school that don't fit in. Because what I'm learning is that those people that aren't listened to, those people that aren't understood, those people who aren't made to feel apart in every group, in your Sunday school groups, you need to be pulling in people that aren't like you. That's the heart of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Dr. Luke is telling us. The good news is for a single eunuch from Ethiopia. I'm really serious about this. A lot of people that the evil one uses, whether it's the drug culture or the homosexual culture, he uses in groups. Those people often, as I counsel with them, they are pulled in to an in-group And they get companionship, and they're often rejected in places like here. Boy, the Ethiopian eunuch is a challenge to us. Will we reach out cross-culturally? Will we reach out if we're a family person? Will we make single people in the small group that Mary and I have, some of those that are single because of divorce and several of them that have gone through tough times like that, it's an incredible joy to have them part of our group and to make them feel at home, and we want them to feel very much, and I want that to just spread out through the church family. 
So he's a eunuch. It says that he's an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. In our culture now, there's a tremendous class of single people that are rising up in business. They have tremendous opportunities in their job. As a church family, we must make them feel at home. If you're single like this and you're rising up in your career, the Lord doesn't want you to be isolated from others. He wants you to connect with family people. He wants you to connect with different groups of people. So it works both ways. We need to help the up-and-coming single career people to realize that God loves them. That's what this passage is saying. Isn't that important? We need to be communicating in all of our spheres of influence, God loves single, up-and-coming, powerful people that are rising in their careers. He wants them to meet the Lord Jesus. The first thing I want you to see One-on-one in the desert, the Lord chooses Philip and pulls him out of a very powerful people movement because he cares about one Ethiopian single guy that has his career going like crazy. But I want you to see that God is already at work in his life. Let's look at what it says about him. It says this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. You know, there's a lot of people that the Holy Spirit's calling them to himself. You see, you need to realize God is at work this week as you go out into your job. God is speaking to the people you work with. God is speaking to the people in your neighborhood. That's what this text is telling us. You see, Ethiopian might seem like the farthest most place in the earth in the ancient world, and it was. But God was there. And God took this single eunuch that had powerful influence in the court of Candace of Ethiopia, very instrumental in diplomacy and government, But he has a hunger for God. God's spirit is already at work in his life. Be alert for that. You want to be asking, Lord, bring me in contact with people because he was worshiping in Jerusalem. He realized, hey, there's something about Jerusalem. There's something about this great I am. There's something about he has a copy of the scriptures. So he's riding in his chariot down to the south back home, but he's reading the scriptures. You're going to meet people like that. And we want to be flowing with the Spirit like Philip so that we come alongside people like that. He's reading the Scripture. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. You think that was just by chance? What is he reading? It says, the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Now, you don't want to think, when I, when I told this story as, as a kid, you think of a guy, you know, like Ben-Hur. You know, how many of you think about that? You know, a guy blasting down. Gaza is south down, you know, on the way. Gaza is now the Gaza Strip. It's on that, that piece of land going from Israel down into Egypt. And there's lots of sand blown off the Mediterranean. There are oases where there's water along the way. And you think of a guy, like I often would think of this story, like blowing a, you know, the guy's riding like Ben-Hur. But all of you that know horses at all, by the way, he's probably not even using a horse. He's probably using an oxen. Because an oxen is going to have a lot more durability to make the long journey. And you don't want to think of Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston, blasting down. Because even if he is using a horse, all of you that really know horses well, you don't gallop from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. You got a long trip, so what do you do? A critical scholar would say, man, it's so make-believe. How could Philip ever catch up with a chariot? It was easy. The guy's going slow. He's meandering. It's kind of like those of you that work cows. You know, all of you see it in the Western. You know, they blow the cows all over the place because they're galloping and yelling and shouting. The guys that I've been with that really do that, they move slow 
Study and eat nothing fast. Keep everything calm. So this guy is plodding along. He's having a nice, quiet read. And by the way, he's reading out loud. So that's the thing. How did Philip know what he's reading? Philip hears the guy reading. Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah because he's reading out loud. And he asked the man, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? And a lot of you can identify with this. Man, how can I? How can I understand? Anybody felt that when you're reading the Old Testament? Well, you're in good company. The Ethiopian says, how can I? And he says, unless someone explains it to me. That's what we're doing this morning. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be taking what we learned this morning, and you need to help others to understand. Because the Old Testament is a lot like a puzzle where you don't have the cover. You ever try to do a big puzzle, a 1,000, 1,500 piece puzzle, and you don't have any cover? Now, those of you that are really into puzzles, you do that really, really well. I need the picture. How many of you join with me? I need the picture. Well, the Old Testament is like a puzzle. If you don't have the picture, you don't understand how to put it together. And that's what this text is telling us. The man says, how can I understand? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the eunuch is going to get the piece to the puzzle. He's going to get the picture that he needs. And the big question, the big question that he asks here in the text is, what's going on here? Let's read the passage. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. It's verses 7 and 8. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before her shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So what's the picture? Isaiah It's beginning in the first part of the verse. He's talking about a sacrificial lamb. The eunuch had just come from Jerusalem, and he's seen hundreds of lambs that had been led to the slaughter. He knows what it is to shear sheep. That was a very common practice, and he knows how the sheep just let themselves be shorn, and he doesn't open his mouth. So whoever this suffering servant is, This individual experiences tremendous sacrifice. He suffers, but he's silent. He willingly accepts it. He's humiliated, and he has justice taken away from him. So whatever is going to happen, it looks like he's experiencing terrible injustice. This is the little portion of scripture that Dr. Luke exposes it to. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the whole passage. This is the passage that starts out, you know it well. It starts out by saying, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We didn't recognize him. He was not someone that we would recognize. He was humiliated. It goes on in the passage to talk about this suffering servant who was stricken by God. He says, we consider him stricken by God and afflicted. And then it leads in that beautiful passage. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God of heaven has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the context that Luke wants us to be thinking of. The Ethiopian's been reading that passage. He reads this, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can ever speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So this suffering servant, whoever he is, dies. His life was taken from the earth. 
the Ethiopian eunuch asks the really big question. It's the question of the ages. He says this, tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is Isaiah speaking about himself? Or is he speaking about someone else? That's the most important question you can ask when you're reading a text. What is it, who is it talking about? It's a very legitimate question. Was Isaiah, the prophet, just speaking about himself? Or was he speaking about someone else? Say, well, Dave, how do I decide that? When you read a passage, you make a guess about what you believe the meaning is. For example, you could guess that in the book of Isaiah, it's talking about Israel as a suffering servant, the nation of Israel. That's one of the ways that it talks about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. So you plug, and I challenge you to do this this afternoon. Take the book of Isaiah and plug in the nation of Israel. And you ask yourself, does this fit all the details of the passage? Israel did suffer. Yes, they did suffer. They experienced a lot of injustice. But did they suffer just innocently? The Old Testament prophets will say no. They suffered because of their idolatry. We've had Stephen preach to us about their history of rebellion. So you really can't say to the nation of Israel that they suffered vicariously because they were innocent, if they were pure. So the details stop not fitting. Isaiah goes on and talks about the fact that he should have been buried, whoever the suffering servant is, he should have been buried with a criminal. Like if you experience a horrible criminal's death, you are just thrown out to the trash heap. But it says in this context, whoever the suffering servant is, that he should have been buried with criminals, but he's buried in a rich man's tomb. It says that 800 years before Jesus came. It goes on and says, and who will speak of his offspring? And then the text closes with a glorious victory by saying that he has children. He has thousands and thousands of children. He has explosive growth in his family. So you plug in the details. You say, Dave, how do you know that that's the right way to do it? Because Philip tells us right here. Notice how Philip answers the question. Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, with Isaiah 53, and he told him the good news. He proclaimed the good news. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the cover to the puzzle. That's why, as a pastor teacher, I've taught you over and over again his story. Jesus is the one that was the promised serpent slayer in Genesis 1 through 3. Jesus is the one who brings Noah through the terrible flood. He's the one that protects Noah and his family. He's the ark that you can rest in. And Noah was baptized in the water according to Peter, but he didn't die because of the promise. God talks about focusing the promise through Noah, and it comes through the line of Shem, and then you begin the incredible story of Abraham, and you've had all that put together. What Philip is saying is, right here, he's saying to the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus, the one, and I'm sure Philip went on to explain what we've learned in the Gospel of Luke. Luke would want you to understand that Philip went back and talked about the Gospel of Luke and told him the story of Jesus, especially beginning with the baptism of John and ending with his ascension to heaven. All that's right there. So Jesus is the picture to the puzzle that makes all the pieces fit together. All that's left is for the Ethiopian to respond. Look what it says. And as they traveled along the road, 
they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, whoever appeared at Azotus, that's the ancient, one of the big five cities. You have Gaza. This is the city of Ashdod that's now in the first century called Azotus. It's about 25 miles or so from Gaza. And then more than 50 miles up the coast, he ends up in the city of Caesarea, where Dr. Luke is going to pick up the story again. And Philip, everywhere he goes, is proclaiming the gospel. What's happened here? There's been a response. We started out of one and one in the desert. The Ethiopian eunuch's heart is ready. Then we have the focus on who is the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, who fits all the details. And then finally, you have this incredible response as the eunuch has it all come together and he believes in the good news. Luke wants us to understand. Philip explained what we've learned early in the book. Jesus is the one who died for us. Jesus is the one who rose again. So this one-on-one in the desert becomes the birth of the first Ethiopian believer. And that's the beginning of the church in Africa. And the body of Christ explodes. And in the first century, like the church in Egypt of Alexandria becomes one of the most influential churches. And I want you to realize as we move into the modern world that the Lord is powerfully moving in Ethiopia. What can you do about it? First of all, I want you to ask yourself, am I like Philip? If you know Christ is your Savior, then I want you to be like Philip this morning. I want all of us to be sensitive to the movement, the touch of the Spirit. God is giving you angels that are watching over you, and the Spirit of God is going to nudge you for those one-on-one times, especially thinking about those. I wanted to become a church family that looks for the person in any group we're in that doesn't quite fit in the single person that doesn't quite fit into a family church, the person from another country that's moved to our area that we can pull in. That's what this story is telling us. Second of all, I want us to really understand Jesus is the one that fulfills Isaiah 53. And finally, if you know Christ like Philip, I want you to realize people can respond. Sometimes people respond just like that. And we want to be part of that. Maybe some of you are like the Ethiopian eunuch. You're here today because the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. You've started reading the Scripture. What I want you to understand is that you can receive the Lord right here this morning. You can have it come together. And what the Ethiopian eunuch did is he realized, like the longer text tells us that he said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah of Israel, and I trust in him. And the Western text is summarizing what what the book of Acts tells us all the way through, what saving knowledge is. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. I trust him. I put all of my coming for eternal life in him. Let's pray. Right here at home, who are some of the, the single people, the people from foreign countries, the people that might not fit into your in-group, as the Holy Spirit laid someone on your heart, let's try to draw near to them and open the door to them. If you're that Ethiopian that's beginning to worship the Lord and you can feel that pull, why don't you just cross over that line 
like the Ethiopian did. Trust in Christ's death for you. Trust in his resurrection.